That is an old convention song, they call it. And that sounded like he was going off to the races on that one. <laughs> so. Well, we are in the second week of our study of... Um, Oops, let me get this straight, of the book of Revelation. So we haven't actually started in the book itself. That will be uh, next week. But uh, today we want to cover some of the keys um, that are helpful in understanding the book of Revelation. And so if you have these keys sort of settled in your mind, I think it will help you uh, understand a lot of the things that are in the book. In addition to this sheet that we handed out, we also, and that's, that's for today, so if you could fill that in. The thing to look for is the key, okay? I just figured that would work well with the sermon title, Keys to Understanding the Book of Revelation. So throughout the graphics that you'll see on the, um, on the screen, that will be your clue that, hey, I've got to fill another line on this, uh, this sheet, okay? Luke, can I ask you to just bring this down a little bit. Thanks. And then uh, the next sheet, two sheets, are the outline that we're going to go over. Rather than just give you an outline verbally today, I thought, let's just print it out, and then you have it, stick it in your Bible, you'll know where we're going. You can read ahead um, week by week, so you know what passage we're going to take up next, and the study will go on for about a year's time. So keep it, keep it handy, I think it'll be helpful to you. Okay, so the, the study today is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it is the keys to understanding the book of Revelation, and um, I have in my hand something that I think most of you recognize. Inside of this is a um, box, just like the one on the screen there. And I know that when a man holds one of these near a woman he loves, she can't wait for the unveiling, the revealing. And usually a man will go to his soon-to-be bride, and he will look her in the eyes, and he will get down on one knee, and he will open the box and say, Will you marry me? Right? So, I'll leave the box here. <laughs> We're already hitched, so it's good. But the, um, you know, as I open the box, I reveal what is truly precious inside. Hidden in the box was a diamond ring, now revealed in all its glory. And when the Lord Jesus came into the world, he was veiled in flesh. He was veiled as a baby born in a manger. He was veiled as a carpenter's son living in an obscure Jewish village. Only a few people really understood who he was. And so when he came, he was veiled at his first coming. He was in the world, the Bible says, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is his own people, and his own did not receive him. 
But when the Lord comes again, when he returns in all his glory, he will be revealed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, ruler over heaven and earth, the long-awaited Messiah and King. And the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ opens, as it were, the box for us, and we see what's inside, and it reveals the one who is precious, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the theme of the entire book. He is revealed in all his glory. And as you open this book, our heart's desire should be, as each brother comes up to preach, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's what we want to see. We want to behold him, the one who loved us and the one who died for us, the one who is coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's start with the keys. The first key, as you study the book of Revelation and as you preach from the book of Revelation, look for Christ. Revelation is really... Um, a portrait gallery of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the theme of the book of Revelation. And before I go much further, I want to just give um, thanks to a man named uh, Bob Upton who preached on a series on Revelation recently in the Bay Area, actually. And um, I was able to borrow some of his slides, which is very helpful. So first key, look for Christ. The second, is, uh, the second key is, what is the purpose of the book? The purpose of the book is to reveal. That's what revelation means. It's to uncover or to disclose. And what is it that the book of Revelation reveals? In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says that it is to reveal to us things which must shortly take place. The book opens with these words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, that should thrill us to think that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. The one who saved us, the one we've worshipped, the one we sing about, the one we pray to, he is coming again to take us to himself. And when he does, we shall behold him. We shall see him as he really is. And we shall be morally like our Savior. It says in 1 John 3, 2, when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The author is the Apostle John. Remember, John uh, was described by himself, by the way, as in his, in his uh, gospel, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Five times he says that in the gospel of John. He is also the author of the book of Revelation. And he tells us that he is the author um, five times. So actually four times he described himself as the uh, disciple whom Jesus loved, and five times he tells us that his name is John, and he is the writer of this book. So that's good to know. 
That's a key. The next key is the date. The date of the writing is AD 96. The writing, uh, it was written while John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Now, how do we know that the book was written in 96 AD? Well, I'll tell you a story. The Apostle John had a disciple, and his name was Polycarp. If you've studied history of the church, Polycarp is a name you probably recognize. Polycarp discipled a man whose name was Irenaeus. Irenaeus wrote a book in the first century, and it was again, the title of the book was Against Heresies. In that book, he states that John wrote Revelation at the end of Emperor Domitian's reign, and that, we know from history, ended in 96 A.D. And there are many, many other clues in um, the Scripture and in the book that make it um, clear that this writing took place at the end of the first century, in 96 A.D. Why is that important? Because it, the, the date of the writing changes everything in the book. If it's an earlier writing, uh, many theologians want it to be earlier because they have a, a theological bias that uh, says that everything in the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. If you read the book of Revelation, that's totally impossible, but that's what they say, and that's because they date this at an earlier time. But And, and they're... they're the basis of what they're saying is that he couldn't possibly have known all these things. He was writing, a, uh, he was writing about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That was fulfilled. End of story. Move on with life. So if that's the case, then most of Revelation is history, according to them. But the date is important because some want to interpret the book of Revelation as having been fulfilled in 70 AD when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were scattered. But the book of Revelation was actually written about 25 years later. So it has to be speaking still of things to come. The things that we see in the book have not been fulfilled. The key, the date, I should say, is the key to understanding the book of Revelation because it tells us how to interpret the book. So we'll get to that as we get into the, the book itself. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the next key is to do with interpretation. How do we interpret the book of Revelation? And so I'm going to say that in, in the highlight on the, on the screen there, literal is the way we're going to, um, the, the literal interpretation is the way we're going to um, move forward. The book of Revelation can be interpreted from a literal pre-tribulation. That means Jesus is coming to take the church home before the tribulation. Pre-millennial, that means that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to the earth to set up his millennial kingdom and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Futurist standpoint. And the, the uh, future mean that, that everything in it is pointing forward. It's pointing to the future. 
In this book, John tells us that uh, he writes about things to come. When we say that we're going to interpret the book of Revelation in a literal way, it means that the words that are written in the book of Revelation can be interpreted in the usual, natural, and literal sense. Now, to say that, it does not mean that we cannot recognize figurative language. There is a lot of figurative language in the book of Revelation, and we should look at that as we go from chapter to chapter. But it's interesting that for the figurative language in the, in the book of Revelation, much of it is interpreted in the same context in which we read. I'm going to show you some of this in just a minute. The pre-tribulation rapture, that means that the, the church is not going to go through the rapture, not for, not for any of the rapture, not halfway, not to the end. The church is taken, snatched away prior to uh, the, the tribulation period. Why, why do we emphasize premillennial return of the Lord? Because there are a lot of people today, in fact, I would say a vast majority of the church today, the church at large, teaches that either there is no millennium at all, that the, the church is just going to make the world better and better and better and better until Jesus comes, that the church is essentially reigning. Some teach that we're in the millennium now, which is wow, you know, um, but I don't know about you, but I don't see the world getting better, better, and better. I see, it take, I see what's taking place in the world, and I say, Lord, please let me out of here. This is, it's time. Come get us. And so when we say a futurist interpretation, we're meaning not allegorical. There are people who go to the book of Revelation and all kinds of other Old Testament prophecies, and they make up a story of what this means. I remember when um, there was a man named Camping on the radio here, and people would call a radio program that he had, and he, they would ask him questions about Old Testament prophecies. And it was like he was just shooting from the hip, making up stories. And I'm going, where is this guy getting this stuff from? And there's a lot of that. The problem with an allegorical interpretation is that everybody has their own story to tell, and none of it matches. So we also want to look at a plain interpretation. That's the next <clears throat> uh, rule. And so the golden rule of Bible interpretation, no matter what passage you're looking at in the Bible, if the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, otherwise it results in nonsense, okay? Just memorize that as you're studying the Scripture. Memorize that and go, well, this makes perfect sense as I read it. Well, then that's the sense. Okay, sixth key. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Always compare. Always compare. And it's interesting that in this particular book, 270 of the 404 verses in Revelation are connected to the Old Testament. If you want to know what, what Revelation is about, you have to know your Old Testament because so much of it goes back to the Old Testament to uh, paint pictures for us um, as, as we go. 
So the interpretation of the verses is based on the harmony of all of the Old Testament and New Testament prophecies. Uh, as Second Peter, as Peter wrote, he said, no prophecy is of private interpretation. Always compare Scripture with Scripture. Okay, key number seven. <coughs> there are lots, <coughs> excuse me, there are lots and lots of symbols in the book of Revelation. Um, Harry Ironside wrote, the principle is that every symbol used in Revelation is explained or alluded to somewhere else in the Bible. God is his own interpreter. And so as you read something and you see uh, four living creatures and, and, and different faces that they have, you go, what on earth is this? Well, it's actually described for us in the Old Testament. You can see it there too. And we see uh, in, in Revelation the throne of heaven, and, and it looks like a rainbow. And you go, where did this come from? Well, go back to the Old Testament. It's there too. And if you go back over and over again, you'll find that a lot of these symbols are actually described quite clearly for us in the Old Testament. So look for symbols in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> And so let's go to the next slide here, Luke. Uh, I put two headings here, symbol and reality. Look for symbols, but look for the reality of that that fulfills the symbol. So in one case here, um, just to give you an example, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, it says um, the symbol is the seven lampstands. And you look at that and you go, what on earth are these? Why are they here? What do they mean? It says, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, you just sit there at verse 12, and you go, I have no idea what this means. What on earth does this mean? How will I know the meaning of it? Well, just read on. In the same chapter, verse 20, it says that we see the reality. It's found in the same chapter. It says, the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. You go, Oh, now I get it. So the lampstands are a symbol, are the reality, uh, the reality is the church. The lampstands symbolize it, but the reality are the churches, the seven churches. Well, that's pretty easy interpretation when the symbols and the reality are found in the same chapter of the same book. Then you'd have to ask yourself the question, and this is where we'll go with our Bible study as we go on. Why are the seven churches represented by seven lampstands? What's the point of that? And so now you're going to have to really start digging. I'm not going to tell you. That's for you to dig into and see, and whoever preaches on this, sub, this passage, maybe a few more weeks from now. Well, there are many more symbols, in, and this is just a, just a smattering of them on the screen here, just a few of the symbols that you're going to find in the book of Revelation. And so as you look for the symbol or see the symbols, look for the reality as interpreted within the book of Revelation and in the many Old and New Testament prophecies. Why is Jesus described as a lion? And in just a few sentences later, he's described as a lamb. How can he be both? Okay. Who is the beast? And should I be concerned? 
Who is the woman riding the beast? Who is the woman who gave birth to a child? Is she the same one as is riding on the beast, or is this somebody else? Who are the living creatures? What do the colored horses represent? What does time and times and half a time mean? So many questions. You'll have to be here every Sunday to get the most out of the book of Revelation. So I hope you're here, and I hope you're here with us through the duration of the study of the book. So symbols are important. Well, numbers are significant as well. And we find lots and lots of numbers in the book of Revelation. Look for them. They're all over the place. What do they represent? Seven, we know from previous studies, is the number of perfection or the number of completeness, often associated with God and, um, and bringing something completely to pass. But you'll see all kinds of seven, 54 of them actually in the book of Revelation. This is just a smattering of, this, of the sevens that you will see. Everything from seven churches to seven letters to seven golden lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven eyes, seven horns, seven angels, seven spirits of God, and many, many more. Like I said, 54 sevens in the book of Revelation. Well, there are more numbers than just seven. Okay? There's all kinds of numbers, and this doesn't, doesn't cover them all either. But I just want you to see some of these numbers that you're going to be seeing in the book of Revelation. Some of them are good numbers, representing perfection, and others are evil numbers. If I said to you, I want you to put the number 666 on your forehead or in the back of your hand, would you do it? I hope not. Okay? It's an evil number. People will need to avoid that number. Then, then there's the number four. Who are the four living creatures? Who are the 144,000 witnesses? If you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, as I was growing up, they don't say this so much anymore, they would come to our front door and say, we are Jehovah's Witnesses. We are one of the 144,000 witnesses. And I would go, no kidding. And oftentimes it was a woman who would be saying this to me. And I'd say, when did you become a man? And she says, what do you mean? I said, look at the scripture. 144,000, 12,000 men from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you Jewish? <laughs> okay, what is it? What is, who are they? And why are they there? Okay, I have a math question uh, to puzzle you, all right? Under completeness there, it says 3.5 equals 42, which equals 1,260. Okay, that's for you to puzzle on this week. How does that work? How does that fit? How does that compute? What do the numbers in Revelation mean? Well, we're going to have the answers to that too as we study through the book of Revelation. Aren't you, aren't you just excited to get going in this book and start to see what all of these things mean? Okay, key number nine. Pay attention because the scene in the book of Revelation alternates between heaven and earth. And you've got to pay attention to where we are in the particular book at the time. Are we in heaven or are we on earth? Throughout the book, the scene alternates, and it's significant. Watch for it and interpret the book correctly. For example, in chapters 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus Christ is walking among his churches. Where are the churches? On earth. 
In fact, there is so much on earth that he specifies the name of the city in which those churches are. So we know that that is on earth. The Lord Jesus is dealing with his church. But in chapters 4 and 5, the Lord invites John to, to heaven and he says, come up here. And we are suddenly transported into heaven where the lamb who was slain is worshipped. And the church is now in heaven before the tribulation begins on earth. Then in chapter 6, judgments are poured out upon the earth. But if you keep watching throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, you're going to see that, that uh, alternation between heaven and earth. Pay attention. Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the book of Revelation will show us how the Lord will perform his will in heaven and on the earth. All right. In Revelation 1.19, we have the key verse of the whole book. And it says this, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The things which you have seen, past, chapter 1. The things which are, present, chapters 2 and 3. The things which will take place after this, future, chapters 4 through 22. In chapter 1, John sees a vision of God. And, and it is really very much like the vision that Ezekiel saw in his prophecy. And we will enjoy going through the things which you have seen, the things that John saw. And the Lord is revealed to us in chapter 1 in a way that we have never seen him before in the Scripture. John is exiled to the Isle of Patmos, not a very big island. And uh, he was exiled there. That sounds like, you know, he went there for vacation, but that's not true. He was imprisoned there for the testimony that he had uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his witnessing and so on. So there was a punishment for him. But there in that solitary confinement, the Lord used that time and gave John one of the, the, the most uh, incredible prophecies in the entire Bible. And we have that in the book of Revelation. John was a prisoner, but he was not alone. The Lord Jesus was with him. The Lord opened John's eyes to see sp the spiritual condition of his day and to see all of church history from the uh, day of Pentecost until the rapture and then well beyond that to the uh, tribulation and beyond that to the thousand-year millennium, and beyond that, to eternity future. And John saw some things that he wasn't even able to tell us. The Lord told him, keep it a secret. And so there's something even more that we don't know, and that's not in our Bibles. How can John write these things? Because the one who told him is God, and, the, and God knows the end from the beginning. Only God knows the end from the beginning, and God reveals 
the secrets of the future to John. Secrets hidden from eternity past. But now he has revealed it to us. And in chapter 2, John was exiled to an island that was about 60 miles from the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is the first church in a list of seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And the church of Ephesus received the first letter. Then we, re- then we re- uh, read six more letters after that. And if you trace a line from one church to the other, starting in Ephesus and going upwards to Smyrna and Pergamum and so on, you'll see kind of like a semicircle of, uh, on this map, sort of a semicircle. Not only does one church follow the other geographically, but they follow one another historically and chronologically. And we'll see that as we, as we study chapters 2 and 3. The Lord chose to write to these seven churches for a reason. And what is that reason? Well, whoever is preaching on chapter 2 and 3 better tell us. But there are three takeaways I want you to get from the letters. Uh, the first, there's another key here, um, three takeaways from the churches, from the letters to the churches. First of all, we have timely truth. As we read chapters two and three, we, we have timely truth. They are real churches that existed at John's time of writing. They were in Asia at the end of the first century. They were in real time experiencing what John was writing about, okay? So timely truth. He was writing timely truth to them. But the other side of this is another um, takeaway. It's timeless truth. The history of these churches is also a reflection of churches throughout history. And it applies to any church at any time. We can learn valuable lessons as we study through these uh, seven churches uh, and apply the teaching and warning to ourselves as a local body of believers. We have timely truth. We have timeless truth. We also have a timeline of truth. It appears that the Lord designed the instruction to these churches to coincide with church history from Pentecost to the rapture. And so we have a timeline of the church's history during the church age from its beginning to its end. And so this gives you kind of an outline of that. As you study through chapters 2 and 3, I want you to ask yourself, which church best reflects Calvary Bible Chapel? Which church marks the church in our period of history. And then another key is that as you study the book, God has promised you that he will bless you for studying. In fact, he promises he will bless you just for reading it. Just for reading it. A lot of people avoid the book of Revelation. They go, oh, it's too confusing. I don't understand it. And so they avoid it. But read it, and God will bless you. And so the book of Revelation offers 
uh, a unique blessing in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. We are blessed if we read it, but the blessing continues if we hear what uh, this prophecy contains, and the blessing will be fuller still if we keep those things written in it. And why should we? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. The coming of the Lord is near, and we need to get our house in order um, personally and be watching, be waiting, and be living for Him. The coming of the Lord is near. If we read it, we will behold Him. If we hear it, we will be listening to Him. And in all your ways, acknowledge Him, the Scripture says. And if we keep it, we will be wise and it will honor Him. All right, the 13th key. And I want you to underline these words. After these things. After these things. So chapter 4, verse 1, comes after chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3 are about the church on earth. Then the next verse in chapter 4, verse 1, says, after these things, and that phrase is found eight times in the book of Revelation, what happens after the church age? The rapture. The church is in heaven. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. The rapture, that's the next key. The rapture is a time when believers who have been part of the church, who have died, and those who are still living at the coming of the Lord, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. I am not a U.S. citizen, and neither are you if you're a believer. I am not a Canadian citizen. In fact, I'm not a citizen of the world at all. The Bible says that we may live here. I mean, we, I, in fact, your government, the United States government, gave me a resident alien card. I've told you this many times, which means I can live here, but I don't belong here. I'm an alien. But brothers and sisters, we are all resident aliens. We don't belong here. We wait for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11.10. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. All right, so that is it then. That was all the keys I had, all 14 of them.
Oh, okay, sorry. That's why I got to that page and I go, wait a minute, there should be more. And there are more actually. So uh, we will take those ones up at a future date actually. And uh, this will be in between some of the next uh, few chapters of the book of Revelation. So let's just close in prayer and then David, you have a, a song to close with, right? Okay. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, as we study this book, we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ um, in a fresh way. We want to behold him, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We come before you, Lord, and we ask you to open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. And Lord, help us to live in light of your soon return. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.